You know, chapel at the Master's College is a very special event. And those of us who are invited to speak consider it an honor as well as a privilege. So several months ago, when Student Life asked if I would take the service, I jumped at the opportunity. You know, after all, I had several months to prepare. It's it's not going to be easy for me to say this for you. You know how things pile up. Um, I thought about one message and decided it wasn't appropriate. Then another and too theological. And tell the truth, I never got around really to having time of preparing any of them. Some of you know I'm also pastoring a church. Takes up a lot of time. This year I've just had so many committee meetings, it's just absorbed time, breakfast meetings, evening meetings, and a lot of our members have been sick in the hospital and I've had to visit them. Members of family have died and you have to have compassion and you have to spend time with them when they need it. When people come in for counseling, you can't say, I'm sorry, I've got to prepare a sermon, I've got to counsel. And had marriage counseling, family counseling, problems, people without jobs, asking for special prayer, and all this takes up so much time. Then on top of that, they asked if I would help in some of the preparatory work for coming Louis Palau Crusade and several days of meetings and <clears throat> at departments. A little difficult to say these things. I thought surely things would slack up somewhere along the way. Uh, top of that, we have a little bit of trauma in our family and still I thought this coming week I was going to have time to prepare. Thought I'd have a lot of extra time. I've had more students come in this week than in the last four weeks, every minute of the day. Phone calls from former students, graduates of the school asking for help on different things and urgent mail, things you just can't put aside. And just hadn't been the time to study that I really would like to have. You know, I, I really want to apologize for not being as prepared, you know, perhaps as I should be. You understand, don't you, when these time pressures pile up like this, and well, I hope, I hope it just never happens like this again, but sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't even preach at all today, but let's at least look through some Scripture, find some verses here. Well, let's see. We may as well look at Luke 14. Look at Luke 14. This will do about as any good as any under circumstances. But he said to them, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, Come. For everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. Some of you are beginning to catch on this morning that the theme of this message is excuses. Isn't this amazing? Don't you think I had a lot of good excuses this morning? Don't you think they were really good and valid excuses? You know, I, I, some of you seem to be getting rather uncomfortable 
when I was making all of these excuses, and I don't know why, because you are the world's greatest excuse makers. <laughs> if excuse making were an Olympic event, you'd be a shoe in for the gold. I'm telling you, I sit there and cry when you tell me all these wonderful excuses. Well, college students have always been known for their creativity in giving excuses. Uh, every teacher has heard excuses like this. <laughs> and with all due apologies to two of my students this morning, uh, my dog ate my paper. You know, that's an ancient one. Or we're training our puppy and he mistook my paper for a newspaper. Uh, or more modern, and this one is very current, my computer ate my paper every blessed bite. And right now, it's floating around in the misty somewheres of electronic limbo. Obviously, that was written by an English composition major. <laughs> a, a teacher at the University of Illinois collected a few of these gems. I'm only going to give you a couple of these. These are actual excuses students gave. He set a world's record in one of his large lecture classes. Out of 250 students, 14 of them wrote him on one exam that their grandmothers had died just before the exam. <laughs> In fact, one of the teachers had a student to come to him for midterm exams and said that he couldn't take the exam. His grandmother had died. Well, a week later, he saw the student on the campus and offered his condolences. And the student said, oh, that's all right. She was terminal, but she's feeling a lot better now. <laughs> You see, college students who aren't the only ones that give excuses. I want you to catch these. These are excuses that the Tilden Company Car Rental Agency in Canada received from customers who wrecked their cars. Actually written out on the accident form. Why did you have this accident? Uh, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> Another, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. <laughs> In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. <laughs> I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law on the other seat, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> An obviously older driver wrote, I've been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep and had a wreck. <laughs> This touching one. I first saw the slow-moving, sad-faced old gentleman when he bounced off the hood of my car. <laughs> the accident happened when the right door of a car came around the corner without giving any signal. <laughs> this one. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. <laughs> These are great excuses. You know, everybody's got a good excuse for something. But you know, really, stop and think about what is an excuse. Many people confuse a reason with an excuse. Now, I've never seen this written down anywhere, but I'll give you one. An excuse is just a lie on the loose looking for a place to hide. That's all an excuse is. It's a lie on the loose looking for a place to hide. The things for which we excuse ourselves or the things from which we excuse ourselves tell a lot about what kind of heart we have. You know, there's nothing modern about excuses whatsoever. Keep your Bibles open to Luke 14. And I want you to hear 
three excuses that the Lord said people would put forth for not doing what the Lord offered to them. This is a very wonderful passage, a passage that just is touching because it reaches in the heart and exposes us to ourselves. Let's read this whole section, starting at verse 16. A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all like began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I can't come. The slave came back and reported this to his master. The head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. At verse 24, I tell you, none of these men that were invited shall taste of my dinner. These are excuses, three excuses. Now, I want you to see that the intent of the parable is clear from the very beginning. When the Lord tells this story, it's obvious a man is giving a dinner. A dinner is a symbol of fellowship and of joy, of enjoying the common conversation and just being with a person. And when someone invites you to a meal, they're saying, I like you. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you on a very close level. And to refuse an invitation to a dinner is to say for some reason or the other, I do not care for your fellowship. There are other things that I consider far more important than being with you. It's obvious. That is clear. So as we look at this, it is obvious that the ones who are invited did not want the fellowship. They did not want the friendship. They did not even appreciate the kindness of the one who invited them. So instead of telling the truth, the truth is, I don't want to come to your house, they lied and we call them excuses. Let's analyze these three excuses just for a moment and see how obvious they are. The first one in verse 18. The first one said, Oh, oh please, uh, I, I have bought a piece of land. You see, here is a man that says, Oh, I'm sorry. I am so busy investing for the future. I have my future to consider, and this is what I want to do. And I am far too busy on these things that deal with my future than to spend any time with you. But when you read the whole excuse, you know the guy is telling a lie. I have bought a piece of land, and I'm going out to see what kind of land it is that I've bought. <laughs> Remember, please, Jesus is telling this parable in the middle of a crowd. And these are common, ordinary people that are quite wise in the ways of the world. <laughs> Can't you imagine the smile that came over the face of these people when he said, uh, Jesus is telling a story, and the man said, I've bought a piece of land and I'm going to go out and look at it. And I can imagine them. One says, who is this fool? I hope I can find him. I have some lovely lakefront property in the Sinaitic Peninsula. I will sell him. <laughs> yeah. And you say, oh, nobody would do that. It's obviously a lie. Let me point out to you, your excuses that you give so glibly, don't fool anyone. 
The second one. I've bought five yoke of oxen. This man's busy farming. He's going to really go out in a major way. And so he says, I'm too busy making a living in the present. Again, his excuse is nothing but a lie. And again, we observe the amazed and amused response of the crowd standing around Jesus hearing these stories. Listen, one ox in that day was a fortune. Five yoke of oxen, ten oxen. Only the wealthiest could afford that. And no man with any intelligence would ever buy one ox, much less five yoke of oxen, without testing them thoroughly. The man is lying. The excuse is nothing but a lie on the loose looking for a place to hide. And the third one uses one of the oldest masculine dodges of all times. That's interesting, isn't it? How these macho men always use women as an excuse to hide behind. It's amazing to me how considerate husbands get of their wives when something comes up that they don't really want to be involved in. Well, you know, I would really like to do that, but you know, my wife uh, doesn't like that, and I have to do what my wife wants me to do. Uh, you know, and in that age, it was a male-dominated society. No man that was a man would ever have said that he wouldn't do something because his wife didn't want him to do it. And everybody in the whole crowd is laughing. And all of a sudden, every husband feels a sharp elbow of a wife because there's not a woman in the world that doesn't like to go to a dinner at a rich man's house. And the woman saying, you ever do that and I will get you. You'll hear about it the rest of your life. And the story is clear. You see, when we say we have one thing to do, the reality is another. But may I point out, all of this is an invitation to a feast. And how frequently we use the excuse of someone we love as a reason for not doing the things that we should do. Let's look at all these again very quickly. Did you notice something about them? These excuses are the same ones that we use for not serving the Lord and for not having close fellowship with Him. We claim we're too busy with our future. I'm speaking on a college campus. I'm dealing with young people who are or should be very deeply concerned about their future. What am I going to do after I get out of college? And sometimes we become so obsessed with those things that, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. Or else we're so busy with the things of the present. We've got the test. We have projects. We have papers. We have work to do. And all of these things. Lord, I'm too busy working. I just don't have time for you. And we're too busy with our social life. Well, after all, Lord, if I'm going to marry this girl, I've got to spend some time with her. And you know, all this is important. Uh, and she just takes up all my time. And all of these things, these are excuses and may I call your attention again that the reason that we do these things, excuses reveal the kind of person we are. The things from which we excuse ourselves show the kind of heart that we have. And when you excuse yourself from the gracious, loving invitation of God to come fellowship with me, He's providing the feast He's providing the food. He invites us to come and spend time with Him. And we say we're too busy. We are lying. The excuses that these people gave fool no one. And the excuses you give for not showing a desire to have fellowship with the Lord 
fool no one. And I'll tell you, the master who gave the dinner was not deceived by their excuses, nor is the Lord deceived by your pious professions that you're too busy. Notice, please, I have to, I'm analyzing myself when I say this. When I say I'm too busy for something, what it really means is that there is something else I prefer more. You tell me you're too busy to prepare for a class, I will tell you then there are other things that have priority in your heart. You tell me you're too busy to pray, that tells me that you prefer something else than God. You don't have time to read the Bible. You are loving something else more than that. Don't you see how your excuses reveal what you really are? You know, we make excuses all over the place. But if you want to meet the grand international champion excuse maker of all ages, let's take a look at Moses. I think this is quite appropriate today for us to take a look at him. Turn to Exodus, please. We're going to spend the rest of our time in the book of Exodus in chapters 3 and 4. Here is a man that was called by God for a very, very special work. The call of God to Moses was unlike the call to us. We have to receive the call of God from other sources rather than a direct voice from God. But when God called Moses, there was no doubt what God wanted. God said to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people in Egypt. I have seen the sufferings that they are undergoing. And now I am going to send you to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Verse 10 of chapter 3. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. God has a special job for Moses. God has identified that special job, and He tells Moses exactly what He wants him to do. Moses, I want you to be the one to bring a nation out of slavery. My friends, very few people in this world ever get a call to instant greatness. Here is a man who has been forced out of Egypt once, spent 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the desert there among the Midianites, and now God talks to him and says, you are the only man in the world I want for this job. I want you to go into Egypt and bring my people out. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that if God spoke to you directly, you'd say, Lord, that's what I want to do? Now, I have been there, my friends. I've been there. All through my life, I have always wanted to know what does God want me to do. I've prayed for guidance and for direction as much as any of you here. In fact, I'll guarantee a lot more. I'm older, you see. So I've had a lot more experience in praying for this. And I know that the thought comes across your mind sometimes, wouldn't it be nice if we still had that audible voice from heaven telling us exactly what God wanted us to do? And you and your own... Well, I want to be kind, uh, shall I say, uh, naive way. That's a polite way of putting it. In your own naive way, you say, oh, if only God told me exactly what He wanted me to do, I would do it. Sure you would. We'd do exactly what Moses did. Listen to the excuses. There are four of them. So I want you to mark these down and then check yourself on them. The first excuse is in verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Excuse number one. And what Moses was saying was, Lord, uh, I am a very humble person. Why should you choose me of all the people in the world to this job? I'm a nobody. Now, that sounds very humble. It really isn't. Now, perhaps Moses expected God to answer this way. And in answering, I will show you why God really called Moses, but what God did not answer, all right? Here's what Moses wanted God to say. God wanted God to say, well, Moses, you're the only man in the world that's suitable for the task. After all, you speak Egyptian, you speak Hebrew, you speak the language of the Midianites and the people of the desert. Well, Moses, you're the only man that knows all those three languages. And furthermore, Moses, uh, you were brought up as a son of Pharaoh in Egypt. You are the only one that knows how to go to the royal court of Pharaoh and properly present this petition in a diplomatic, formal fashion. You know how the machinery of the court works. And Moses, you've had administrative experience as a son of Pharaoh, preparing to be a Pharaoh yourself. You're the only one that can organize these millions of people and have them march out in an orderly fashion. Why, Moses, you're the only one for the job. You're the only one that knows the desert and knows the watering places so that you can lead the people through. Moses, if you don't do it, I guess I'll just have to leave Israel and Egypt. Please, Moses, please, Moses, please, Moses. Isn't that what we want God to do? We want God to tell us how great we are. But listen to God's response. Think of this. Before you ever refuse God's call on the basis of, well, who am I? Listen to the answer. The answer is in verse 12. God ignores him entirely and says, certainly I will be with you. So to be interpreted as to mean, it makes no difference who in the world you are. It does make a difference as who I am. May I point out, when you say who am I, you are not being humble. You are actually challenging the fact of God. My friends, it makes no difference who you are. If God is present with you, you are everything. Years ago in the paper, there was a little one-frame cartoon that appeared every day. It was called Pixies. There were no people in it, only uh, pictographic images. And one day, there was a, a zero and a one talking. And the one said to the zero, huh, without me, you are nothing. Think of that. You see... Put the one and the zero together. We are the zero. God is the one. Watch this carefully. The more of nothing we are and put God first. How powerful we can be. But the more of self you are and put God last, the less you are. That's the picture. You are nothing, but God is something. And you put the one in front of the zero, and it is an amazing difference in strength and power. So Moses' objection, number one, was, who am I? The second objection is found in verse 13. Moses said to God, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I'm going to say, God sent me. And they'll say, what is his name? What am I going to tell them? 
The second objection is really the key one. Who are you? At first, again, this sounds as if Moses says, well, Lord, you know, my theology is very limited. I haven't studied systematic theology yet, and I don't really know a lot about God. What am I going to tell them about God when I go there? That was not the answer, the question that Moses was asking. He was saying, what kind of a God are you? Are you kind of a God that can do anything? Notice then the first question, who am I, was actually a challenge to God. Who are you? When you challenge God as to His wisdom in calling you to do His service, you are actually challenging the power of God. And God said, look, Moses, I always have been. I'm here. I'm always going to be. Is that enough? I am the eternal God. The importance is God is God. That's who God is. And we should not ask any more concerning that. God, though, is gracious. And the rest of chapter 3 he says, here I am, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. And he goes all the way through verses 15 through 22, explaining to Moses exactly what he's going to do. And even in verse 18, God says, and they will believe, they will take heed to your word. Moses' third excuse is the one that we like to give. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered and said, what if they don't believe me? They're not going to believe me. God has just said they will believe. Moses blatantly calls God a liar. says, God, they won't believe. Moses is saying, Lord, I know these people better than you do. I've lived with them. In witnessing to your home community, in witnessing to your family, many in this room have never witnessed once to a member of their family. Why? They aren't going to believe. They're not going to believe. Listen, this is so important. God says it makes no difference whether they believe. Your responsibility is to carry the message. And it's my responsibility to make them believe. I cannot make any person believe. I have spent literally hours and sometimes whole nights lying in my bed meditating. What can I say as a man that will cause another person to actually believe that God has spoken to me, how can I with words convince someone that there is an eternity, that there is a God there, that my heart has had sin removed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I have had the grace of Christ? How can I prove that to anybody? How can I prove to someone that I am a new creature in Christ? How can I prove that I will live with God forever? The answer is, I can not. I am only required to give the message. God does the work. God shows Moses three things. He says, Moses, I want you to see something. What is that in your hand? Mark that phrase in your mind, please. What is that in your hand? It will come back to serve as a reminder to us later. Moses looked and he said, it's nothing but a stick, a shepherd's staff, just a dry, dead piece of wood that I use to shepherd the sheep. The Lord said, Moses, throw it on the ground. When Moses threw it on the ground, he leaped from before it and saw a writhing, wiggling serpent on the ground, a snake. And he said, now, Moses, reach forth and pick it up by the tail. <laughs> Oh, said, now, Lord, uh, we don't do that at our church. <laughs> uh, 
We're dignified. We don't do such things. <laughs> but in obedience, finally, he picked up and became a staff. Listen to this lesson. You may think that's a picture of your life. What are you? You're nothing but a dead, dry stick. And as long as you retain the control of your life in your hand, you will remain a dead, dry stick. But my friends, if you will let go of the control of your life, God can put power in your life and put life there that will cause others to believe. He said, put your hand in your breast. It became leprous to show him how sinful he was. His heart was full of sin. And he put it, I said, now put it in again. And it became white as snow. Poured out the water and it became blood. He said, now Moses, it's not up to you to do these things. I can do it. You can't. The fourth excuse is even the worst of all. At making speeches. You big liar, Moses. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and in deeds. What difference does it make anyway? It may be that some of you feel God would have you serve Him in a very special ministry, perhaps in a teaching ministry, in a speaking ministry. And you say, but I just don't have a way with words. So, who needs eloquence when you have the power of God? What could be more eloquent than for a man to say, this is God's power? What could be more eloquent than to hold the rod of God up to heaven and see the lightning and the fire come down upon Egypt? Or to see the hordes of the locusts, to see the swarms of insects covering it, to see the Red Sea parting in the children of Israel? Who cares how eloquent you are if you have the power of God? Finally, Moses loses his opportunity God says, I'll send Aaron to help. Let me close with this. Don't you think it's time to stop making excuses? You were deeply bothered when I began to make all sorts of excuses for not being prepared. After all, a preacher is supposed to be prepared. A teacher is supposed to be prepared. And yet you make every excuse in the world. When God asks you to do something, you make excuses. We ought to be like the Marine Corps. When they have a young man in training for the Marine Corps, the first thing he learns is that whatever his drill sergeant tells him, he squares his shoulders, looks him in the eye, says, No excuses, sir. I wish that instead of making excuses, we would obey God. For you see, the one who has a servant's heart doesn't try to make excuses. He obeys. Heavenly Father, help us this day to realize the importance of obedience without any reservation whatsoever. Help us, O oh God, to yearn for fellowship with You. When You invite us to come and dine at Your table, You're providing the food, You're providing the fellowship. O oh God, may we not say, I prefer something else. Help us, Lord, to love to have time with You and then not make excuses for lack of service. We pray that this day will be the beginning of obedience in our lives in every way. Bless us now as we are dismissed from this chapel to go to our regular duties. In Jesus' name, Amen. You're dismissed.